Amen. Amen. I'm going to have you uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, if you will go ahead and do that. You know, there are aspects to a worship service, and we do a lot of planning as a staff. We do. Um, there are aspects to a worship service that we, we plan. Logistically, that's required. I mean, we have to do those things. But then there's other aspects to a worship service that we don't plan. And those are the beautiful moments. And honestly, tonight, you don't even know it. It's just a beautiful moment for me. If you're in the book of Acts, I'm going to encourage you to go to chapter 3. And I'm going to read from there, and then I'll pray, and then we'll move on. I'm going to read a portion from chapter 3, and then also a portion from chapter 4. Starting with verse 11 of chapter 3, that's Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 16, and then we'll move over to 4. The Bible says this, while he was clinging to Peter and John, and this is the man that had just been healed by Peter and John. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life. I hope you're taking note of the names. The one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now through the course of this they get arrested. So if you'll move on to Acts chapter 4, verse 8 through 12. Then Peter... Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as, is as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Father God, in this moment, I have far more questions in life than I have answers. God, one thing I know is true. Your name matters. 
Lord, I ask for clarity of thought, calmness of spirit, clarity of speech. God, I pray as always, Lord, I ask that you would speak through me. And Father, frankly, in spite of me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just last week, just last week I sat where you are, as did some of you in attendance of a funeral. And it was for Miss Frances Moore. And I sat at that funeral listening to a grandson preach the funeral of his grandmother. And I've been in that spot, not once but twice. I've preached the funerals of both my grandmother first and then my grandfather later after that. And it is a beautiful moment. It is a beautiful thing. It's a sentimental thing to do. I've also had the occasion to preach my father's funeral, a very different situation. But about the time I was sitting about midway back here listening to Will talk about his grandmother, talk about her love for the Lord, and talk about the name of Jesus, I got a text. I started to get a series of texts coming through from my mother, my own mother. That's what my mother means, right? (laughs) And it was a text related to my grandparents. It's actually related to some family business that pertains to my now gone to be with Jesus grandparents. And honestly, it was appropriate that I was sitting in a funeral because it was an emotional text. It was emotional to me because of what they mean to me or meant to me in their life. And even now, I reflect on them and speak of them often. But it was sentimental to me to think through the dynamics of that text to the point that I wanted to weep and even teared up and got emotional, which again, it was perfect to be in a funeral because nobody knew the, the difference other than, man, he must have been really close to that family. <laughs> I was really weeping at a personal scenario in that. It led to me reflecting again on who they were, personally. Everything in their lives and what it represented to me. It led me to reflect upon even their names and their legacy. I mean, their names mean something. Not to you so much, but to me. Their names are valuable to me. Now, as a teenager, their names are valuable to me because if I got pulled over on the way to their house by the police, they all knew my grandparents. So it was very easy as a punk teenager to drop my grandfather's name casually and get out of a speeding ticket. Now, ironically, I got a speeding ticket on the way to my grandmother's funeral. Name dropping did not get me out of that one. You know, they helped me learn, though, the value of a name. They really did. They helped teach me that my name means something. And In fact, one of the first things I remember hearing from my grandmother, and even my mother, too. In fact, it came on a bookmark, the first bookmark I ever got. You remember those tasseled bookmarks you used to get at what used to be the Baptist bookstore? And you could put it in, you know, it had Bible verse. They still have them. You know, we just, nobody uses books like that quite as much anymore. 
But it was a bookmark that had Proverbs 22.1 on it, which says a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Or I think it was a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, was the translation that I had. It's favor is better than silver and gold. Now remember, that's one of the first verses besides John 3.16. I remember you know, seeing and being familiar with all of the time. But there's another name that means something far more. And it's a passage, you know, it's the name of Jesus, obviously, but there's a passage in Isaiah, and we usually use it at Christmas time. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You know, when we talk about names in general, we all have one, I hope. Modern times, when we name people today, it's generally reflective of the personality of the parents. And you see that sometimes reflected in the name choices of children. I mean, that's how you see it. You see the personality of the parents come through in modern times. In fact, some of you sitting there, you're thinking, I can't believe so-and-so named their child this. And I'll even be honest with you. When Kaysen was born, I did not want to name him Kaysen at first. That kind of came about later. This is a true story, and this is ridiculous. I can't believe I'm owning up to it. Before Kaysen was born, I tried my best. I tried my best to convince Jennifer that we should name him City. Now, you can laugh. It's okay. It's, it's ridiculous. I wanted to name him City. C-I-T-Y. City. It's like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything at all. I just thought it was kind of cool. And I thought, well, you know, if he grows up kind of cool, it's kind of cool to have a name like City. It's like, it's like being named Memphis or something, you know, or being named anything else. You know, it's like this, uh, well, I mean, I'm from Memphis, you know. I think it's a movie character, too. But I thought, how cool would that be? And so even to the point that I was decorating, I was painting the mural on his wall before he was born, and there were these big blocks. It was these baby blocks with all the letters on there. And without telling Jennifer, I started actually painting the word City in the blocks, disguised with all the other blocks, until I got to the very last letter. She's like, you're painting City on there, aren't you? We obviously did not name him City. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, parents, (laughs) people's names often reflect the personalities and idiocy sometimes, of their parents. I recently heard, this was years ago, that some of the top names on the list (laughs) were Jace, Corey, and Silas a few years ago. It's not rocket science to figure out where that's from. A lot of Duck Dynasty fans were around about that time. People name their children um, for a myriad of reasons. For some, they're family names. In fact, my name, Todd, is a family name. I saw an article just recently. It's been a few weeks now. But one of the things that I kind of pride myself in is that I am an an ancestor of, or one of my ancestors is the great emancipator, Abraham Lincoln, by marriage. (laughs) You see, my name is Todd, and his wife was Mary Todd Lincoln. Now, if you know your history, history has told us countless times that she was a loony. 
She was mentally ill. She was just absolutely crazy. And so I've known that all of my life because that's what I've heard. But recently I saw an article where somebody had written about Mary Todd Lincoln and exposed that they didn't know something then that they know now and that the symptoms or at least the characteristics of her behavior and ailments and things that she complained about are textbook symptoms of a particular medical condition. Praise God, right? I don't have to be related to crazy, at least at that level. Uh, maybe I just come by that on my own. So, you know, names can be family names. That's where my name, Todd, comes from. It's, it comes down through the Todd family line. I have friends who have named their children after Bible characters, and, they, you know, every one of them is named after a Bible character. That's absolutely fine. I also have friends who have named their children after clothing designers. All right? So that happens also. Nicknames. Nicknames tend to be reflective of the person. So you've got a name that often reflects the personality or desires of the parents, but a nickname is reflective of the person. In our area, it seems like everybody has a nickname. Everybody has one. If you don't have one, you just come see Dustin, and he will give you a, your very own nickname. And it'll have something to do with you in some way. Am I right, you guys? Am I right? Some of you like, yeah, okay. So nicknames reflect the person. Okay? In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to think of a nickname that somebody doesn't have. I mean, whatever it is. I mean, you just pick one, somebody's probably got it. And then there's Bible names, obviously, in the Bible. And they generally are characteristic also of the person. For example, Rachel, while dying at childbirth, named her son Benaniah, son of my sorrow, in Genesis. Jacob called him Benjamin. Jacob was named the supplanter, or the supplanter for he was holding on to Esau's heel. Esau means Harry, and he was. Ichabod means the glory has departed from Israel, and it came about by the Ark of the Covenant when it fell into the Philistines' hands. Isaiah's name, uh, Isaiah named his son symbolically Shir Jashub to as a remnant shall return. The biblical concept of naming was rooted in the ancient world's understanding that a name expressed essence, a person's essence. And so to know the name of a person was to know the person's total character and nature. Personal names might express hope for the child's future. Changing a name occurred also in the Bible. And you'll know this, and it's generally it always occurred at divine or sometimes human initiative, revealing a transformation in character or destiny. For example, God changed Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of multitudes. God changed Jacob, the supplanter, to Israel, one who strives with God. And you'll remember that he wrestled with God through the night and came away a changed man with his encounter with God. Jesus changed Simon to Peter, rock. And then, of course, upon this rock, I will build my what? My church. And so the act of naming implied the power of the namer over the named. And that's evidenced in naming of the animals. There's a power of naming. So there's an authority aspect there. And so our names certainly may or may not mean something, but for sure our reputations do. And so you might even have a nickname that you don't know about. Right? It's quite possible. I mean, how many of you have said, oh, my goodness, that's a, 
that kid coming down the hallway, oh, you know, and you've, you've already got a nickname in his mind, uh, you know, in your mind about that child. I don't ever do that, so I can't think of anything that would be an example of that, but I know that in your minds, you've probably got these nicknames for children that seem to climb up the walls or run down the halls or they're disobedient, whatever it is, you've got all these crazy nicknames that you would use. I certainly do not ever do that, but that happens. It reflects aspects of the nature, and, that, and that's where that verse of Proverbs comes in because it talks about a good name being uh, rather to be chosen than great riches because there's a reputation that we have, a reputation of ourselves that is displayed. So there's you personally. What is your personal reputation? When people think of you, whether it's your real name or your nickname, or a name you don't know, what is it that they think about you specifically? Do they like to see you coming, or do they wish you weren't coming? Do they like for you to knock on the door, or do they wish that you would not? Do they like to see you sit next to them in the pew at church, or do they wish you would sit elsewhere? Which may have its own problems, I understand. I mean, we need to be welcoming of all people. And we need to have a heart leaned towards all those, even those that may be hard to get along with. But my point in that is that what are you projecting? What is the name that you are putting off to people? What is it that they see when they see you? Or like me with my heritage of being a Todd. People might see crazy because of Mary. Or what about Wynn Baptist Church? When you hear the name Wynn Baptist Church and you're sitting here, so your perspective of that may be very, very different. I submit to you that it probably is very different than what maybe the community thinks of Wynn Baptist Church or somebody that doesn't attend here or maybe has never stepped foot in a church at all. What do they think of? You see, because when we go out, we represent, obviously, Jesus Christ, but we also represent the church. And for somebody that's never met Jesus at all, we probably first represent Wynn Baptist Church before they even have an encounter with Jesus Christ. So what is it that they think of when they think of Wynn Baptist Church and they see you? What do they relate to your role at Wynn Baptist Church and in contrast to how you do business or how you act in the office, or how you are at the prison, wherever you do, whatever you do in life, whether you're agriculture or something else, how is it that they see you, and what is the relationship of that to the other identities that your life holds? For example, Wynn Baptist Church, or the fact that you're a Christian, assuming they know that, and hopefully they do, or that you're a deacon, or that you're a small group leader, that you're a teacher, that you work with children, that you preach, Do they follow their thoughts and things that they say with, and he calls himself a Christian? Do they follow it? Well, what do you expect? He goes to that church over there, Wim Baptist. Is that the persona? Or is it, is it received with glee and joy and thoughts of pleasure because of the name of Jesus that we represent in all that we do and in all the facets of life and everywhere that we go? Is that good name chosen by us? See, even though we don't operate like the ancient world in our naming system, there's no question that reputations precede us. 
and we're known to others in a certain way. A good name is important. A good name is important. Proverbs also says that, a, I mean, Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ecclesiastes says in 7.1 that a good name is better than good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. So in a lifetime of existence, there is that time, and I remember an old song that used to say, time is a gift of love and grace. Without time, there'd be no time to change. It's a beautiful song. And it's so true. God has granted us time, and from birth to death, we have the time to convey, project, present of ourselves who we are and a name that precedes us with a reputation. And reputation matters. 1 Timothy 3.1 says that an overseer must be above reproach. 1 Timothy 3.10 says these men, this is speaking of deacons and obviously overseers as well, these men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Reputation is important according to God's word. And interestingly, those very instructions were written by Paul the Apostle. Apostle, if anybody had to live beyond a preceding reputation, it was Paul. When Paul was converted, of course, his name was changed as well, you'll recall, from Saul to Paul. And when he was converted, everyone was terrified of him as well. He spent the early years of a, a bit of a solo effort because of people didn't just, they just didn't trust him. They didn't trust anything about him. And he had to redefine his reputation, which is exactly what he did before he died. And he taught that church leaders especially needed to be above reproach. He taught how important it is that the Christian, that the Christian guard their testimony in the presence of weaker believers. Reputation matters. And it doesn't take much to destroy it. So when Jesus came to the earthly scene, his name, his name changed everything. Changed everything. Everything. Back to Acts chapter 3. They healed a man in the name of Jesus. There's a few things I'd like you to see in that. First one is this, is that Jesus' name, the name of Jesus bears credibility. It bears credibility. Verse 13 says this, and I love it because they outline the credibility in advance. The God of Abraham, he meant something. Isaac, he meant something. And Jacob, he meant something. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus, the one whom you've delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You see what they did there? They outlined his credibility. It mattered that he came from that line. It mattered that he came from their forefathers. It mattered that they make that point that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these names mean something to you in the flesh, but Jesus Christ really surpasses them all. Jesus' name brings credibility. This is something that I feel like I personally 
ah, I've forgotten a little bit. Man, it's so easy to get distracted, is it not? It's so easy to get distracted in what we see in the news and what we see on social media. Speaking of reputations, <laughs> social media, isn't that just a killer? And I mean, I'm, I mean, I know, believe me, I know that I'm on social media a lot. I get it. But man, don't we just front ourselves? Don't we just put this projected persona of how we want people to see us? And for some, it really is holier than thou. We don't put the dark stuff up there. We don't put the secrets. We don't put the sin. We put whatever, what we want people to see us as. I'm just as guilty. Lately, I've tried to put some real stuff, but, you know, we get injured at my house. <laughs> Apparently a lot. The name of Jesus bears credibility. Not only does the name of Jesus bear credibility, the name of Jesus bears strength. There's strength in the name of Jesus. Look what 16 says. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. You see, they knew this lame guy. He was the one that they saw every day from birth, by the way, to the moment that he was healed. The moment that they said, we don't have any silver or gold, there's nothing we can give you, but you know what? In the name of Jesus, you can walk. Because there is strength in the name of Jesus. They didn't even have to give out Jesus' credibility in that moment. They just drew on the strength of the power of Jesus' name. That man got up and walked, and not only did he walk, he leapt for joy, he followed them into the temple, they celebrated, and he praised God for what Jesus had, what the name of Jesus had done for him because he had faith in the power, the strength of the name of Jesus. Not only does Jesus' name have credibility, but it bears strength. And I think sometimes we forget that as Christians. We lay down and almost die, it seems like, forgetting that his name bears strength in our lives, strength in our world, strength in the things around us. So often we forget to simply call on the name of Jesus because it just doesn't seem to make sense in an environment. It's only when we get in an environment where really nothing makes sense that we rely on Jesus sometimes. Other than that, it depends on what we're able to do or our logic or whatever makes sense or whatever the best plan is for the next step in my life, whatever makes the best career sense. And sometimes we just don't draw on the name of Jesus for strength in those moments. It's just when we feel like we have no more strength of our own to rely on that we then call on it. And yet it's there. It's there for all times. It's there for everything that we encounter. It's there for every single step. I heard somebody recently say, you know, I don't know, it's, I feel weird taking the little things to God. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and it's a friend, so I mean, I could make fun of, I could make fun of it. Um, but what isn't a little thing to God? Tell me something that's big to God. I mean, that, it's our human perspective that gets in the way. It's our human thinking that gets in the way. And so we, as a result, we forget to rely on that. And his name bears strength. And then ultimately, as we all know, I hope, in the room, is that his name bears salvation. Look what 4.12 says. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. 
There is salvation in no one else. There's salvation in no one else. And yet in all other world religions, every single one of them, you pick one, if you remove the founder of that philosophy, it breaks down. It absolutely breaks down. If you take Buddha out of Buddhism, you still have <laughs> Buddhism, right? If you take Muhammad out of Islam, you still have Islam. If you take Zoroaster out of Zoroastrianism, you still have Zoroastrianism. I actually said this wrong. If you take Christ out of Christianity, it breaks down. The others, you still have a philosophy. But if you remove Christ out of Christianity, you have absolutely nothing. You have absolutely zilch because the name of Christ bears salvation. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, or by faith, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer me that lives. It's him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You see, there's new identity. Jesus' name bears salvation. I mean, think about how great that is. I mean, because of Jesus' name, we have new identity. And I may not be going to change my name from Todd to you know, City, but I have a new identity in Christ. I mean, I'm redefined in Christ. And may I just add, not only at salvation, but I think there's this redefinition that occurs as we grow and as we lean more and more on Jesus and as we have moments like I've had even this week where Jesus redefines a little bit more of who I am for me so that I present just a little bit clearer of a picture of who he is to others. We're a child of the king. And we can start all over again. We can be made new. We can be fresh. We can be restored. In that same funeral, sitting right back there, a song played that made me reflect deeper about the simplicity of my faith. And really the simplicity of who God is. Because man, it is so easy for stuff to just get muddled up in my mind. And maybe that's true for you. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is a moment of personal reforming. The words are from We Believe, and it was played at Miss Francis's funeral. And it goes like this: it says, We believe in God the Father. Period. I mean, really be a period right there. It's a song, so it goes on, you know, artist-like and all. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. There's that name. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And it really could end right there. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. The simplicity 
And he's given us new life. New life. A new name. A new reputation. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection and that he's coming back again. We believe. Do you believe? <laughs> Do you believe tonight? Okay. Let me pull a chance in. Okay, you're not hearing me tonight. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> then we need to project that regularly because that is our identity. He gives us new life. And it's just as simple as that. It really really is. It's the legacy of Christ that we are to present to others. It's the power in the name that we rely on. And it's the credibility of Christ that makes it possible. That makes it real. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you once again this evening, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Father, I pray, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in people's hearts in the room, but Father, I, I trust that if, if I go through things and I wrestle with thoughts and I wrestle with complexities and I need moments of simplicity, God, I trust that that's probably the case for others. And Lord, tonight, I just ask that you work in our hearts. And Father, if there's a need of salvation in the room, Father, I pray, that, I pray that one, that two, that three, whoever it is would trust you with their life, that they would have a new identity in you, that they would trust in your power to save them, their belief in you, your work on the cross, your resurrection. And Father, today would be the day that they would Man, they would just put that stake in the ground and find new identity in you. And God, I also pray for those in the room that maybe they've just been in a slump. And Father God, they weren't at that funeral that I was at. They didn't read those words on the screen. But they need to be reminded that they believe in you and that you've given new life and that you've conquered death and that you're coming back again. So, Father, for that, I also pray for repentance. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.